to Walk in the Truth podcast. How do we know where to find answers to the toughest questions in life? While the simplest answer is the Bible, where do we start this search and how do we discover this truth? Today, in this teaching podcast, John Metter, lead pastor of Cross City Church, takes a specific text of the Bible and helps us find truth for the life we're searching for. Please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 22 today as we continue our message series called Out of the Shadow. Today we're going to talk about loving others well. Loving others well. This is really a relationship series where we're talking about what it means to get out of the shallow end of relationships and get into the deep end of relationships and love others well. I think that we would all agree this is an incredibly important type of a, of a message, an important, incredibly important time for us to mirror what the world ought to see about relationships. So Matthew chapter 22, let's stand together. I'm going to read several verses beginning in verse 35, a text we actually began last week. This is part two of what I started last week where Jesus is giving us what we know as the great commandment. Now, you know the background behind this. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are trying to trip Jesus up as it pertains to the commandments. If they can get Jesus to say one commandment is more important than another, they can falsely accuse him of not being the Messiah, not being truly sent from God. And so they send this lawyer to try to trip him up. In verse 35, we pick it up. One of them, a lawyer, asks him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Jesus gives this profound answer that we quote to this day that is such an important answer to the question that was asked. And it should be one of the guiding verses of your life. Let's bow together. Father, in Jesus' name, by the power of your Holy Spirit, illuminate this text for us today so that we might know exactly how to love well. We ask this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Please be seated if you would. I absolutely love our graphic for Out of the Shallow. It looks like the deep end of the ocean, right? It shows a mountain in the background. It shows the water, a shallow side, and then it shows the deep side. And just in commemoration of that that graphic that I left so well, I've kind of been searching out ocean movies, deep sea movies to watch. Have you ever noticed that every ocean movie is a disaster movie? It's always about a shipwreck. Think Titanic, if you would, or the perfect storm. It's always something where things don't work out well, right? And so this last weekend, uh, the last couple of days, I decided to watch a movie that I'd never seen before, and it was a movie made in Australia about a shipwreck of five young people whose boat capsized out off the Australian coast. Really encouraging movie. Four out of the five die of shark attack. Very encouraging movie. And it illustrates the fact that when you get into the deep end, there are all kinds of dangers that are present. In the course of the movie, you not only see these four that are striving to get to this little island about 10 miles away that they're swimming to with a great white shark circling them all the way, And uh, you know exactly what's going to happen. At the same time, it goes from that shark to other great and beautiful places in the bottom of the ocean that you want to see, that you want to be around, 
And it just perfectly illustrates the fact that wherever there is the deep, there is the beauty as well as the risk. And that's true of relationships as well. Sometimes we don't want to go deeper in relationships because we're afraid of the sharks that lurk below the surface at the same time. Other beautiful, amazing things lurk beneath the surface. One of my great experiences in life has been scuba diving and, and, uh, and snorkeling off the coast of the Bahamas where we were able to spend a week or so about 15 years ago, something like that, even longer ago. And my friends and I were out snorkeling and we would go down uh, 30 feet or, or below. We could see about 50 feet to the bottom. And I saw some of the most beautiful marine life I've ever seen in my life. Manta rays, barracuda. Uh, at one point, I saw a shark big enough to make me his breakfast or his lunch, but for some reason, thankfully, he wasn't interested in me in that day. But I saw all kinds of beauty at the same time. I was captured by the danger that was involved. And I, I have to tell you today, the reason we don't often go deeper in relationships is because we're afraid of the danger that's involved. We could be hurt. We could be, in some way, have trust violated. I began to think about relationships and how important it is to go deep. And I, I realized that in my lifetime, I've experienced a lot when it comes to relationships. All the great things in life and all the rough things in life usually happen through relationships. I've experienced all kinds of ridicule, all kinds of mockery as a young boy growing up with hearing aids as being the only guy in the classroom that was deaf and not able to keep up with everyone else. That's, that's years and years ago. That doesn't affect me today, but it's one of those things that I, I kind of remember. As an adult, I've weathered all kinds of criticism and slander and, and all kinds of uh, conspiracies against me as an individual or as a pastor even. You might surprise you in the church. Some people don't like the pastor. It's hard to believe, isn't it? But on the other side of that, I've experienced the best of relationships, incredible loyalty, incredible love, incredible, amazing commitment to help bring out the best in me and that I see that in other relationships as well. But until you go deep, you don't get to experience any of those things. This whole series is about going deeper. It's about taking risks. It's about loving God in a deeper way and loving those around you in a deeper way as well. So let me ask you some questions as we get into Jesus' text here. What if we learn to love with more investment, more dedication, more depth? How would our lives change? How would the lives of those around us change? What if we loved as a lifestyle, an expression of our faith? What if our faith meant, our faith in Christ meant that we would love to the same level that he loved us? What if that became a hallmark of our lives? How would that change family? How would that change personal relationships? How would that change culture if we were able to love the way Christ called us to? How can we love our neighbor well? How can we love others well? Well, last week we began looking at Jesus' statement to the Pharisees and the lawyers. And he gave, first of all, the first part of that great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your soul, with all your might, all your strength. And we focused on what it meant to love God well. To realize that God's love for us is what initiates all this. That we don't uh, have the ability to love God well without God first loving us. And we explored that. We spent some time in that. Today's the second part of that, where Jesus said, the second is likened to it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. 
And today I'm going to use the world's oldest illustration to talk about what it means to love God well and then love others well. And it's what we call the, the vertical and the horizontal illustration. That is, if our vertical relationship with God is strong, that means our horizontal relationship with other people is also going to be strong. But if we don't have a strong vertical, neither will we have a strong horizontal. So let's talk about the vertical foundation first of all. The vertical foundation begins there in verse 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And as you know, Jesus is responding to these men trying to entrap them. And I just want you to see here by way of of remembering what we said last week, that the highest value that Jesus Christ put on his relationship with us is that it is a relationship characterized by love, not about religion. Not about good works. Not about having a perfect past. It's about a relationship that we have with him. And when you read this response that Jesus gave to the lawyers, you come to the same conclusion that we all would have to come to. God desires for each of us to be in relationship with him, and he makes it possible through Jesus Christ. You and I, it's possible for any of us in this room to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In fact, if you leave today without a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it's because you want to leave without that relationship. He's made it possible for you to have it no matter what your past is like, no matter what your present is like, no matter how fearful you may be about having a deep relationship with God, Jesus has made this possible for it to be real in your life. Don't leave without Jesus today. Don't leave without him. Because it is the foundation for every other kind of relationship. This vertical foundation that we have. Jesus Christ came to demonstrate that. In fact, he came, he revealed the Father to us, he redeemed us by paying for our sins on the cross. And that's what the gospel is all about. You know, I love to talk about the gospel, and the gospel is fully involved here in Matthew chapter 22, verse 35 and following. When I share the gospel, I love to share it out of Ephesians 2. The first 10 verses of Ephesians 2 say just about everything you need to know in a capsule form about the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. Some people think the gospel is simply Jesus died, was buried, rose again the third day. That's definitely in the center of the gospel, but there's more to it. Let me spell the word gospel for you. I love to do this, and most of you know how to do this yourself. The G of the gospel has to do with God's character. God's character. Ephesians 2 talks about the mercy of God, the love of God. And God's character is that he's a loving, merciful God who doesn't want to punish us for our sin. And at the same time, the Bible reveals him as a just judge who will by no means let the guilty go unpunished. And that's a problem. Why? It's a problem because of the offense of sin. I mean, it's not a problem that God loves us. It's a a problem that God is a just judge because of the offense of sin. You and I, the Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. So the offense of sin is a wall between ourselves and this holy yet loving God. The only answer to that is Christ, the sufficiency of Christ. When Jesus Christ came and lived on this earth, he lived a perfect life, and he laid his life down in sacrificial death so that our sins would be paid for and we would have the possibility of a relationship with this holy and just God, the sufficiency of Christ. Not the sufficiency of religion, not the sufficiency of good works, not the sufficiency of anything else. Jesus Christ was sufficient to give us 
the open door for a relationship with God. That's the S of the gospel. The P of the gospel involves you, personal response. See, all that Jesus did on the cross made it possible for you to turn from sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus as, as Lord and as Savior. But you have to do that on your own. None of us as Christians in this room were Christians because our family was or because we attended a church or because uh, we've done good things like other Christians are supposed to do. We have to personally respond to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, put our faith and trust in him. The E of the gospel is eternal urgency. This is forever. It's life and death and eternal life and death. And that's why we're urgent about sharing it with you. Then the L of the gospel is life transformation. You know, you can't have Jesus Christ living inside of your life and still be the same person you were the day before, the week before, the year before. Jesus changes us from the inside out. That's good news, and that is the gospel. Now, the reason I share the gospel with you here is because that's the basis of our vertical relationship with God. Again, it's not religion, it's not good works, it's purely the good news that Jesus brings us by dying on the cross to give us eternal life. And once you enter into that, you are loved unconditionally by God and have the capability of loving Him in return, loving Him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. You know, I came to Christ many, many years ago, but I've never ceased being grateful for it. Never been a day that I can recall that I wasn't thankful that I'm forgiven, especially when I sin. When I sin, I'm really glad that I have the forgiveness of Jesus purchased on the cross for me, and I know you are too. I'm grateful for what he's done for me, and that really establishes the relationship I have whereby I can love other people. We'll see more of that in just a moment, but that's the vertical. The next thing I want to point out of this text, though, is what I call the important interpretation. It's kind of a warning. And here's what you find in verse 39. Jesus says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I want to I pause and just look at those two words, as yourself, for just a second. Many people read this verse and they say, oh, okay, so before I can practice neighbor love, I have to practice self-love. Before I can really love anyone else, I have to love myself well. But that's not what the verse actually says. Some people read this and they take that approach and they go out and they try to love themselves really, really, really well. But in my experience and according to the scripture, we already love ourselves really, really well. In fact, we may love ourselves too well, right? We have to deny ourselves in order to love other people well. I've noticed that with each of our kids as they were growing up, they loved themselves really, really well early on. Have you ever been around a two-year-old that didn't love themselves more than everybody else? That didn't want everything directed their way? You know what happens when we see an adult that's really, really immature? We say they're being a baby. Now, why do we say they're being a baby? Because they're acting like a selfish baby, like a two-year-old. I say all that to say this. You do not have to learn self-love before you love other people. As a matter of fact, you, you need to learn to deny self before you love other people. And I'm going to tell you what that exactly means in just a moment. But first, let me just say that the Bible warns us that in the worst of days, at the worst of times, that the biggest problem will be that people are lovers of self. Paul actually said this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come for men will be lovers of self. 
unloving, irreconcilable, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness even though they have denied its power. Now, we're not supposed to hate ourselves, but neither are we supposed to cultivate even more self-love. So what's Jesus saying? Instead of that, here's what he's saying. Elevate your love for others to the same level of care you have for yourself. Would you feed your neighbor when he or she is hungry? You feed yourself. Would you take care of them if they're heartbroken and bleeding? You take care of yourself. And here's the key behind it all. Others are just as important in the eyes of God as you are. And aren't you thankful they are? I mean, that's the whole basis for why God sent his son Jesus to die for the sins of the whole world. God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. So the, the, important, the important interpretation we need to have in this verse here is we do not have to pause and learn to love ourselves before we love others. Experience the love of God. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. The second is like unto it. Love your neighbor with that same vertical love that you have with God and experience with God. So let's get to that place now. That place of what it means to have the horizontal application there in verse 39. Love your neighbor. So this is based on everything we have in the way of love from God. When you and I experience the love of God, we can live life loving others well. I want you to take a moment and think about the life of Jesus and how he interacted with people, how he loved people. Think about his selflessness. Think about his compassion. Think about his service. He served everyone. Think about his ultimate sacrifice and laying his life down on the cross. This is how Jesus lived it out. And then Jesus gave these amazing commands to his disciples that were destined to follow him, determined to follow him, and he gave these commands of love. John 13 is one of the greatest. Listen to these words. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If you remember last week, we talked about the four different words in the New Testament for love. And, and the one that's in this verse, and all the verses I share today, is agape love. This love is not friendship love based on common interests. It's not erotic love based on sexual attraction. It's not family love based on biological connection. It's unconditional love. Unconditional love is love with no guarantee of response. It means that I'm called to love my neighbor in spite of what my neighbor says or does to me, for me or against me. It means it's not predicated on that. It's predicated on the fact that I'm already in a love relationship with God himself. It's the kind of love that Christ has for me and the kind of love Christ has for you. And when we show it, when we demonstrate it, we stand out in a very broken world. And that's what Christ intended. In the Luke account of this great commandment, Jesus follows the statements that we've been looking at today, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. The second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself, with a parable. And it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in that parable, Jesus pointed out a man who was robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. And two religious leaders passed him by and didn't stop to help him at all. And then finally, the Samaritan stopped 
And the Samaritan was not of the same ethnicity. He didn't have anything in common with the guy on the side of the road. He wasn't the same religion, but he showed compassion. And Jesus told this story, this parable, in response to the question, who is my neighbor? Love your neighbor as yourself. But who's my neighbor? And then you have this parable. And after Jesus tells this amazing parable, he says, go and do the same. You want to know how to love your neighbor? You do what the man in this story did. He loved without any hope of return, without any expectation of, 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 of response at all. He just loved. He just loved. I think that's a pretty powerful illustration and a pretty timely response after Jesus teaches that. So show mercy on those, not just in your family or in your circles, but show most mercy and compassion on the, on the neighbor in every direction you can possibly imagine. And one of those great conversations about love in the Bible, and there are a lot of great conversations about love in the Bible, folks. I mean, go to the book of 1 John and look at all the references to love. I'm going to pull up 1 John chapter 4 for just a moment and read several verses in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, and then verse 11. That's 1 John. And I want you to notice how many times the word love is used. And each time it's used, it's used in, uh, in the agape form of love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And then, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Yeah, you don't have to wonder why John called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? I mean, he, he's all about love. Seven times in those three verses, he uses the word love. Agape love, agape love, agape love, agape love. And once, the word beloved, which means I know that I'm beloved. I know that you're loved with that same kind of love. So John's reflecting everything that Jesus said as he gives those verses. So the obvious question after you read that is, how do we do that? How, do, how are we supposed to love with that kind of love? That's hard. That's difficult. How do we do that? And he answers in verse 19 of 1 John. And I want you to see it on the screen. And I want you to say it with me. Are you ready? We love because he first loved us. You talk about simple, profound truth. We love. After all those commands to love, seven times he says love, 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 love. We love because he first loved us. I want you to let that settle in on you for just a few minutes. We don't love because we have learned the psychology of it. We don't love because we've got great experience at it. Uh, we don't love because we want to love necessarily. We don't, we don't love because just we're supposed to love necessarily. We love because we've been loved. The way you know how to love is look at how you are loved by Jesus Christ. Now, that's, that's why it's so important for us to begin this with the vertical relationship because once you know how much you are loved by God, you are able to love others. So let's listen to the practical application of this. Just bear with me for a minute. We love God because he first loved us. Amen? Amen. We love others because he first loved us. We love our family because 
he first loved us. We love our neighbors because he first loved us. We love the church because he first loved us. We love the lost because he first loved us. We love people who are different because he first loved us. We love the difficult people in our lives, the annoying people in our lives because he first loved us. We love our enemies because he first loved us. Are you with me? Say amen if you're with me. We love because he first loved us. How many in this room are loved by God? Would you just register your understanding that you're loved by God? You're part of the we. We love because he first loved us. If this is true, then that means I can love you regardless of your response because he first loved me. And you can love me regardless of my response because he first loves you. So how do you love people who can hurt you or who defame you or who lie about you? You love them because they, he first loves you. How do you love people who ignore you or ghost you or, or slam, slander you? You can love them because he first loved you. We love because he first loved us. And I want to tell you, friend, you can do this in the power of Christ. You may not want to do this. It may not be easy for you to do this, but you can do this in the power of Christ. And we can transcend this eye for eye, life for life kind of culture we're in, this cancel culture where if you say something or do something wrong against me, you are out of my life, buddy. You are completely out. We can transcend that by loving, even when they do something to us that's hurtful and painful. Now, you may need boundaries, and you may need extra grace, and you may need time in order to do that, but you can love in spite of it, all, of it all. And that means we turn on that big light. If we can let that illustration of a big light called love get turned on because we are first loved by God and you shine it without blinking to everyone, no matter how they respond to you, that's what it means to love because you were first loved in spite of whatever anybody else does for you. What an incredibly weighty and yet amazing command. Love the God, the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, verse 20 is the last verse of this section that we've been looking at. And I want to take just another moment and look at this again. Notice what it says in verse 20. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So, I wonder how many of you have heard a message that talks about that verse right there. Or read a book that talks about that verse right there on these two depend all of the law and the prophets. Why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus say that the Ten Commandments are really dependent upon loving God and loving others? They're built on loving God and loving others. When we see the Ten Commandments, we don't see them that way, do we? We see the Ten Commandments as being pretty black and white, pretty, pretty harsh, pretty prohibitive. And if you get into the theology behind the Ten Commandments, you know they're an expression of God's character. They're an example of how God wanted his people to live. It also evidence that we need a Savior because we can't keep those Ten Commandments on our own. And the legalist looks at the Ten Commandments given in the Scripture and says, oh man, that means that, that I've got to keep these commands or I don't love God. And if I don't love God, then thunder will come and start crashing and lightning will strike me and, and I'll perish. That's kind of the way we look at the Ten Commandments. But as you look at what Jesus said in verse 20, keep in mind, he's quoting back the Shema 
of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting a thousands and thousands of year old text that is based on the Ten Commandments given in Deuteronomy 6 and Exodus 20. There's a connection between loving God well, loving others well, and those Ten Commandments. So I summarized the first four of those commandments last week. And the first four of those commandments are all about the vertical relationship, our interaction with God. I'll go over them very, very quickly with you for just a moment. Those first ten are. And by the way, before I do this, let me just keep in mind that even though the Ten Commandments are so prohibitive in nature, thou shalt not, they are for us. Now, you know this is true. When our kids were growing up, they were always on bikes and trikes and running around in the yard. And, and whenever I would see a child moving towards the street, then I would go all commandment on them, right? I would say, don't go in the road. Now, if our child had stopped and said, why are you being so negative? Why are you being so harsh? My answer would have been, I want to save your life. I want you to live to tomorrow. Stay out of the road. Now, I was giving them a commandment that was good for them, that was prohibitive and sounded very negative. All of God's commandments are for us. They're for our benefit. They're for the benefit of all around us. So expressing the Ten Commandments relationally, because that's what we're talking about, loving God and loving others, how do they sound? How do they reflect love for God? Last week we looked at commandment number one, you shall have no other gods, and we talked about what it means to love God exclusively. If you want to love God well, with all your heart, soul, and mind, don't love anything else in the way of God. Love God exclusively. Commandment two, love God personally. Not in a graven image. Don't try to reduce God down to a, a set answer, a pet answer, or a visual of some kind. Love him personally for his character, for who he is. Commandment number three, don't take his name in vain. Love God honorably. Command number four, observe the Sabbath. That simply means love God by being with him. Spend time with him. Move away. Rest from your labors. Take the labors and put them aside. And spend time with God. That's how you love God well. But the next six commandments, the second set of commandments here, talk about what happens when we love others well, respect others well. Now, before I give you these next six, I want, I want your attention for just a moment. I don't, I don't think I've lost it. But when you dive into the Ten Commandments, you kind of wonder, ah, oh, somebody wandered off on commandment number three or four. <laughs> I want you to listen real carefully. Here's why. I think this is significant. I think it's unique that these commandments are about loving people beyond friendships. Most of the time we think of our neighbor as our buddy, our friend, my neighbor next door, or maybe somebody that lives on my cul-de-sac, or somebody I see in the grocery store, or somebody I see at the workplace. But neighbors remember anybody, most particularly those that are not like, you, not like you at all, not around you at all. Think beyond friendships. Think beyond your neighborhood. Think beyond your workplace. Think of culture. Think of society. Think of the world. When you see the word others, think of all others. How can I live and how can I love that benefits all others that I possibly might come into contact with. I may never speak to them. I may never be around them, but how do I love them well? After all, again, Jesus loved the whole world and gave his life for them. How do we do that? 
So having said all that, I want to look at this next six commandments very briefly about how do these commandments reflect love for others. Commandment number five, it's the commandment that says, honor your mother and father. I love the little catch at the end of that. It says that your days may be long upon the earth. I used to stress that part of that to my kids, by the way, when they learned the Ten Commandments. But here's the relational expression of that. Love others by honoring your family. Do you know what happens when the family breaks down? You know what happens when no honor is given in the family? You have a culture that doesn't have roots. It doesn't have direction. Love others by honoring your family. Commandment number six, love others by valuing every life. The 10th commandment there, number six is, thou shalt not murder. And while we see that's pretty black and white, but basically it's emphasizing the sanctity of life as a whole. It means that we care about everyone from conception to the grave. God values every life and love values every life as well. You cannot advocate taking innocent lives and still love people. Commandment number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. Let me just phrase this relationally. Love others by respecting vows. That's the commandment against committing adultery. And loving people means we keep our vows to each other and we respect others' vows to the people that they've made vows to. And that's how you interact and love people well by honoring and respecting vows. Commandment number eight, do not steal. Love honors by honoring their possessions, by not trying to get their possessions from them. Honoring them as their possessions, what God has blessed them with, not what you want to have. And then number nine, love others by being honest. That is, thou shalt not lie. Living with a sense of integrity to build up the trust that we actually have with each other and the trust that should be in culture. It calls us to the honesty expressed by loving people with truth. And then commandment number 10, love others by learning contentment. Don't covet your neighbor's wife, the commandment says, or his donkey, which I confess I've never confessed or coveted anybody's donkey that I can remember in my lifetime. But these are practical applications for that day and that time. Love others by learning contentment. So having walked through those six, let me just ask you, let me challenge you. What would happen if we loved others in these ways? What would happen if we loved in such a way, honored God's values, honored people around us, lived in such a way that says how I live matters because I love God with all my heart and I love all those around me. How I live my life matters. I would say this, when we live this way, the gospel has credibility. Light is shining. Salt has been taken out of the salt shaker and is sprinkled in our culture. And we have a chance to point to Christ. If by chance someone would say, how is it that you live your life the way you do? How is it that you love me even though I've been spiteful to you? We have an opportunity to say, we love because he first loved us. How is it you weather these storms? How is it you handle all this with patience? We love because he first loved us. See, that ought to be the testimony of the church. And Jesus said that should be the testimony of the disciples. They'll know that you follow me and that I came because of your love. Here's what I want you to do today. I want you to dive into the deep end of your relationships with those things in mind and not fear the sharks. 
and not fear all the, the things that you anticipate might happen. And look at the beauty of deep relationships. And look at what you can invest in others in the way of relationship by loving them well in spite of how they respond to you. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like unto it, Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Today, when you leave, I want you to leave with the idea of I'm going to align my life with this vertical and the horizontal. And I'm going to do it in the power of Christ. Not just because I ought to, but because he first loved me. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an invitation to... I'm going to invite you, first of all, on your way out to stop by the decision station. They're lit up back here. And uh, these are places where people are there, they're present, to talk to you about any decisions you may want to make to follow Christ. And that decision to follow the gospel by putting your faith and trust in Jesus is so incredibly important. And we will man those stations before we have this closing word of prayer in just a moment. Secondly, I invite you to our guest reception room right outside the center exit door and across the hallway. I'd love to meet you if you're a guest here today. Tell you just a little bit about our church. It takes about 10 minutes and I have a little gift for you. Love for you to stop by. Third, I want to invite you to come back next week. Next week, we're going to talk about marriage and how this diving deep into marriage will be such an important thing for us. And the following week, another aspect of relationships and so forth for these next six or seven weeks. But before we do all that, before I close you in prayer, I want to introduce a special couple to you today. And many of you uh, may have already received this little brochure, little flyer that introduces Alex and Morgan Farr. I'm going to ask them to stand right now, if you would, right where you are. And uh, come on up here if you would on the stage so people can see you. This is Alex and Morgan Farr. I want you to give them a welcome while they're coming up, by the way. <laughs> Thank you, Alex and Morgan. And uh, our little brochure here tells about their lives and it tells that they, uh, they have two children. This has been a long process that we've been in and talking to them about coming uh, as our A1 pastor uh, that we're calling Alex to do. But it's also been a little delayed because five weeks ago you had your most recent child. And uh, so we kind of didn't want to rush the thing, you know, and uh, we spent some time doing that. The way we call people to our church is through the process of searching and then putting them before a personnel committee. And our personnel committee is a great group of individuals that uh, had the opportunity to interview both of you and came back with the unanimous recommendation that we present you to the church. And so in just a few moments, we're going to do that. But I want just you to be on the stage. They're going to go out to the guest reception area, uh, guest central area, and, um, and we'll see you right after the service, okay? Would you one more time let them know how much you appreciate them being here today. Now, the way we call ministers on staff is, uh, is this way. Uh, we, we meet them. We vet potential leaders who would come to be interviewed, and we spend time with them. And then we bring a recommendation to our, our personal committee, as I've shared. And that's what we've done with Alex and his wife. And uh, again, it was unanimous from them. Then we introduce them to the congregation, and we ask the congregations to simply affirm them. So I'm going to do that here in just a moment. And... Uh, we have this information. I hope that you'll take the opportunity to meet them out at Guest Central at the end of this prayer. Uh, but if you today will join us in inviting them to come as a one pastor and why, then uh, would you indicate that by standing with us right now? If you would join with us in that, this is the time to affirm that.
And we thank you for doing that. And I want to lead us in a closing word of prayer. And uh, then you're dismissed. Please get to know them today, if you will. Father, in Jesus' name today, as we move out of this building into the world, I pray for the light and the salt that you've called us to be, to be in operation today because of the love that you've given us. Lord, today, help us to love because we have been loved by you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Lord's Day.